0: Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, and welcome to another Veterinary Business Matters by Oculus Insights podcast. I'm Mike Pownall, and I am joined by Mr. Cal Lai of Ask.Vet. Welcome, Cal. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate you having me on today. Cal and I met. We have never met in person, but we have met through video cameras. He and I were involved uh, with another gentleman on a podcast on AI. During that podcast, Cal was talking about his company, and I thought, I need to get him on our podcast. He's doing some really cool things. So, Cal, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you got to the vet space.
1: I'm an entrepreneur. I founded four companies in my career. This is actually my first one in the vet space my whole background kind of the thesis of my career is i'm a consumer oriented guy my training is in marketing and really what i try to do is i try to take consumer experiences that are really really crappy for the consumer and utilize technology to make them much better experiences my first company created the very first online selling store called egghead.com long before there was an amazon or anybody sold anything online and you know that's an example of taking you know a fairly klugy, clumsy, potentially frustrating consumer experience. In that particular time point in time, was buying software and in the mid 1990s. That was something tough to do. And by essentially taking a catalog of software and putting it online and having people be able to uh, try it, buy it. When we first started, was before there were downloads. I really helped streamline uh, the purchase of software so you didn't have to either read a catalog and order it or go to a store and buy it. So that's an example of taking technology and at the time, early, early web technology and being able to then take that and really improving the customer experience, particularly for a business buyer who really wanted to be able to explore, try, and buy software in those days of shrink wrap software in a much easier way. So i built three previous companies all with that same thesis in mind. And when I exited my last company, I kind of said to myself, what's a place, what's an industry that really needs significant disruption, the use of technology to make the customer experience better? I came to healthcare and I came to healthcare because I personally have had a lot of health challenges in my life. At one point, I weighed 325 pounds. I weigh about 145 pounds now. Wow. I've had lifetime gout. I suffer from a lot of gout. I have high blood pressure. I'm a classic person who had metabolic syndrome, diabetic, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. And in order to manage my own health to the point where my cholesterol is great today, I had a kidney transplant because my lifelong gout destroyed my kidneys. I've lost you know, nearly 200 pounds, um, 180 pounds. And I kind of had to really learn to how to navigate the health system because doctors would say to me, "Cal, you need to lose weight. I'd say, well, how do I do that? And they'd say, well, maybe you should eat less and exercise more. And that's not really helpful, right? And that doesn't give me enough specific guides and didn't tell me what to do on a day-to-day basis to actually really change my lifestyle. So I have learned through the process that really it's all about managing your workflows. So if you can manage your personal workflows, what you eat, how you eat, how you exercise, having a real strategy and a guideline of what is your strategy towards eating? What kind of foods are best for your body? So over a course of 10 years, I've essentially built a lifestyle and a workflow that works for me. And doctors didn't help me with that. I did that all on my own. And the results are obvious. I've, I've lost a lot of weight now that I've had the kidney transplant because of the gout. My uric acid's great. I don't have joint issues like I used to. My average blood pressure is 110 over 65. I've solved a lot of my core fundamental problems, but that took a lot of understanding of my personal workflow and how to now essentially take information I had and build that into a workflow that worked into my life. So I said, God, you know, really if you see it as workflows, we should be able to help everybody create their own workflow and make it natural for them to build this into their lifestyle. So I thought, well, maybe my next company should be around taking technology And helping consumers improve their health on a daily basis, rather than on, you know, a chronic care and episodic basis. Because if you really think about what we have in America, we have a system called sick care. You live the way you live, good or bad, and at the end of some period of time, you end up with all the chronic illnesses that we all do, whether that's being overweight and all the, the, the things that follow from that. And I learned and realized that we can manage these things day to day if we had the guidance First of all, the understanding of what we need to do, and then the structure upon which we can impose this on our lives, the workflow. So I said, maybe I can help other people do what I've done with my life, turn my physical health around because I've been able to instantiate all of the things I need to do into my daily workflows. Then I started looking at the space and I thought, God, you know, human health is hard. There's insurance, there's HIPAA, there's all these reasons why that would be really difficult to do. So I said, I wonder if animal health is similar. So I started thinking, you know, I, have, I have animals, right? And I started thinking, yeah, it kind of is because 50% of all dogs are overweight, just like people are. And if you go to the veterinarian and they say your dog should lose 20 pounds, you say, how should I do that, doc? And they say, well, maybe you should have your dog eat less, exercise more. They tell you the same things that human would tell you. And that's not helpful. So I started thinking about it and saying, God, you know, could I build a voice and digital platform utilize some AI to essentially help people manage their pets' health and wellness every day so that they can avoid those chronic problems that come later in life. So as I started talking to veterinarians and getting deep into the industry, I realized that, wow, the same rules apply. And healthcare in the pet space is just like in the human space. It's all reactive, not proactive. And what's really hard is to get human beings to change our behavior and Just as hard to get us to change our behavior with regard to our animals, our pets. So that's when I said, you know, I think I can do this and I can take some of my personal learnings and really help people manage their animal's health on a day-to-day basis. So that's how this all started. That's how I got into the vet business because I feel that the utilization of technology for the management of pet wellness is critical to one living a healthy and longer life, just like it is for people. Yeah, that's a fascinating story, and uh, I
0: did not know that about you, but it's f- it's funny because I think of my own story of how I got into vet medicine, and it's very much based on personal experiences. Interesting as an aside. So tell us about Ask.Vet. What is it, and what is the problem that it's solving?
1: Yeah, good question. So Ask.Vet is the leader in virtual veterinary care. So what our thesis is is the biggest and the most pressing need, most consumers have, they have it for their own health too, is when we see this presentation of a symptom, we don't know what to do. So 3 million people every month, pet owners, at the moment they see a symptom, their dog's vomiting, scratching too much, looking lethargic, what do they do? They go to Google and they search, my dog is itching, my dog is lethargic, right? So then a whole bunch of information pops up and now we leave it in the hands of pet owners to read that information, synthesize a result and say, ah, I know what I need to do. Well, of course there's a lot of information thrown up there. Some of it good, some of it bad. Most people don't have the time, don't have the interest, don't want to become experts in these subjects. So they throw up their hands and they say, I don't know what to do. So we leave the most important decision, the decision of triage. Is it important enough for me to go to a doctor now in the hands of the least capable person to make that decision? us in the case of our own health, and we as pet owners in the case of our animal's health. And if you call a veterinary practice, 80% of the time, that's the stat. When you call them and say, I need some help. My dog is itching. My dog is vomiting. They say, come on in. Well, why do they say that? One, because the person who's answering the phone isn't medically trained. Two, because they don't know how to help you remotely. And three, there's no economic model for them to make money on that. So for the consumer, what the consumer interprets that as is you don't want to help me or you just want me to come in so you can bill me and make money. So that makes the consumer cynical about going in. And it's inconvenient. I got to take time off work. I got to cart my animal in. I got to sit there. And what if nothing's wrong? Now I spent a bunch of money and I don't know what happened. I took some tests, but I found out that nothing's wrong with my dog. So it's a frustrating experience. So the whole thesis was let's put veterinary care into the hands of consumers 24-7, instantly at the moment of need. So we created a service called Ask.Vet. The Ask.Vet service was a service you can text a veterinarian. Uh, We went to Google and we managed about 8,500 words and phrases, things like, my dog is itching, my dog is vomiting, my cat has diarrhea. And we popped up and said, got a question you want to ask a veterinarian? Go to text VET, V-E-T, to 67076. That's our shortcode. People texted us. We ended up having an interaction with them, 20, 25 texts back and forth, 10 to 15 minute total elapsed time. And people were really satisfied that what we did was help them triage and answer the ultimate question, is this serious enough and important enough to go to the doctor? Now, of course, because there are certain laws around what's called VCPR, veterinary client-patient relationship, we can't diagnose, prognose, prescribe, treat. But what we do is we provide advice and we say, well... From what you say, it's possible that this could be serious. Here's what that would look like and the progression of what you would see look like this. Or from what you're saying and you're sending us pictures, you can send pictures or videos in and the things that you're telling us, it doesn't look like this is serious. Here's why. Now, if you see the following things and you should certainly seek additional uh, veterinary care, go to your veterinarian. If you don't have one, we can refer one to you. So what we started doing was we provided that service. We had Tens of thousands of people use that service in a very short time, and they were really happy with the service. We get five-star ratings in our service. 28% of our people rate us and uh, give us five-star ratings and say it's the best thing that's ever happened because now I rest assured that I really need to go to the vet, and I'm hearing that from somebody who's a veterinarian who isn't, doesn't have an economic interest in that outcome, or I can be assured that probably it's not that serious and I can wait. Maybe I don't have to go in now at 10 o'clock at night where it's going to be an emergency visit. Or I can go in on Monday where it's going to be a regular office visit rather than an emergency visit. We know that 70% of all of our interactions, people do not need to go to the veterinarian right away. Our veterinarians tell them, yeah, you know, you, you might think about going in on Monday. If the following things occur, you probably should go in, make an appointment, and the symptoms may go away. So that's kind of how we started. So what we ended up doing as a result of that was we have about 100,000 recorded conversations, text between consumers veterinarian so that's how the service began began by putting veterinary expertise 24 7 right at the fingertips of a consumer
0: so when i hear you talk about it and you know before we talk today i went online looked at your website and Mm -hmm. you know to be quite blunt i've seen others that looked similar. And so, yep. you know, the question is, sounds like telemedicine. Somebody calls in yep. and, and gets an answer. I know uh, some of them here in Canada, you know, they've closed down their doors because they, they couldn't get traction. So obviously you're getting traction.
1: What makes your service different than the others? A couple of things. One is we have uh, about 75 to 100 veterinarians on our network. These are all licensed, so currently active, in good standing veterinarians in the U.S., so, we have it staffed 24 7 with very talented veterinarians. And our response time is pretty instantaneous. I think our average uh, response to customers is under a minute. So, within a minute, when you text us, we respond back to you. So, one, we're available quickly. And two, these are highly qualified and trained and vetted people. So, one of the things that we go through is we have what's called a doctor academy where our our veterinarians go through about 30 hours of training before they ever talk to one of our consumers. Because one of the things that we learned is virtual care is really different from care in a hospital. So over the years, we've assembled a lot of data and a lot of learnings. That's the recorded conversation I talked about, where we now understand the appropriate ways and what consumers really want to hear. So we've trained our veterinarians to be able to care for their animals and more importantly, care for the client, the pet owner, in a virtual way without av- having to see them. So that's really critical. I think a lot of what makes us special is one, our, the, res- the response time we have is amazing. Uh, people are shocked by how quickly it is we respond. Two, that we have true, real veterinarians. Most of the services that look like us have people who are technicians or vet techs or uh, sometimes people who are just, you know, fairly knowledgeable expert animal types, but they're not necessarily veterinarians. And one of the things we find often is people want to talk to a veterinarian. In our network, all of the responders are 100% veterinarians. We do have vet techs. They don't talk to customers. They essentially manage our customer care operation and support our veterinarians behind the scenes, giving them hospitals in someone's area if they need to go, things like that. But all of the interactions are with veterinarians. And the other thing is that We really, from all of the the texts that we've done, we've been able to utilize all that information and build really heuristic and contextual artificial intelligence. So one of the things that we've created is a bot. It's called My Pet Doc. It's live on Amazon. It's the number one utilized and the most highest rated pet skill of the 350 pet skills on Amazon. It's the number one pet skill. You can download and enable the skill on Amazon. So
0: this goes into your like a practices software or is hooked up to their f- phone system. How
1: does that work? Yep, it could be all of the above. Okay, you can you can engage it directly through Amazon or Google. Practices use it by putting it into the practice or just as importantly making it a part of their uh, their workflow. So my pet Talk answers the phone in about a thousand different practices, so that you can immediately get triage right there on the phone. My pet Talk can engage consumers any way they want. It's also deployable. On a, on a web chat, on a text thread. So the intelligence that we've gathered from 100,000 sessions between consumers and veterinarians have now all been built as algorithms, all reviewed and continuously improved by our veterinary team to be able to respond. So we, we know that we can respond to about 80% of all of consumers' questions just by using the bot. And of course, at the end of the bot transaction, we say, if you wanna to talk to a veterinarian, you can. So you can either text or speak with a veterinarian directly right after the interaction with the bot if the bot didn't give you the answers you want. So about 20% of the people come through and actually talk to a veterinarian. So our version of AI is to really create contextual understanding of the questions people are asking us and our system's ability to respond to those questions in a real contextual way. So unlike the really frustrating kind of bots that you have when you, call, when you talk to your bank and stuff, this isn't just a phone tree. This is highly contextual, highly AI-driven, heuristic understanding of a conversation and a response that's appropriate based on the conversation that's heard in the past.
0: So I think it would be really helpful for people to understand this is, is to explain what AI, artificial intelligence, is. I know when I heard your definition, I, I quite liked it. So maybe you want to share that with people.
1: Yeah. I mean, for us, you know, people talk a lot about having the having of data, Right. And our view is that data is really meaningless unless you can create outcomes from that data. So we have two kinds of outcomes that come from the data that we have. One is how to respond to a question appropriately. The heuristic AI part of our engine listens to conversations and is able to understand what you're actually trying to say, not, it's not a pre-programmed response. So our current bot has about 400 million different responses it can respond to questions with because it's actually listening and comparing what you say with, against more than 100,000 other conversations it's heard and responding the way that our vets would with an appropriate response. So that's one one use of our data. The second use of data is we really think that the future of AI in medicine is what we call anticipatory guidance. So we have this vast data lake that data lake includes all of these Text sessions we have between veterinarians and our customers, our pet owners. But more importantly, we can take in structured and unstructured data from a number of sources. So I'll give you an example of one that kind of was our pilot study in this. So, one of the things about 16% of all the cases we hear are related to skin. So it's itchy, it's rash, it's fleas and ticks, it's those kinds of things, right? So, one of the things that we built early on is we said, I wonder, we know a lot of these things are regionally based or species based. So let's see if we can get some anticipatory guidance so that we can help a pet owner deal with an issue before it actually happens. So that was our proof of concept for ourselves. So we picked flea and tick because we know it's a big area of concern. We had a lot of data on flea and tick. We also were able to scrape some publicly available databases and we had some partners put data into our our database. So as an example, the, the test case we had was to see if we could help a pet owner who had a particular type of animal, a breed of animal, in a particular region, predict when they their animal might have issues related to skin based on a series of conditions and their breed type.
0: So you're looking at temperature, humidity, pollen level, for
1: example. Exactly. Yep. And where you are, whether that what's true in your region. So our first test case was we said we we knew from some insurance data that we had from some of our partners that of uh, opuses are particularly susceptible to skin. In fact they're 60% more likely to be susceptible to pollen and skin issues. So we said, okay, that's a starting point. So then we ingested data from the CDC uh, that gave us pollen information. Uh, Weather Channel gave us information about uh, temperature in a particular area. So now we knew that if you had a lopsia opsa and you were living in an area that was going to have high pollen counts given the weather during a particular time, we could now... Five days before an event, we could push you a notification that says, you know, your dog Cupcake, a lapsa is going to be susceptible to the conditions that are going to happen. So if you're going to go walking with her outside, which we know you do, um, you're going to have to take the following six precautions because we know your breed is 60% more susceptible to skin issues, and we know that the, both the weather conditions and pollen counts are going to be high during this period of time. So here are the things you should do in order to avoid Cupcake having some real allergy reaction.
0: Or as a really proactive practice, you've in your database of clients, patients rather, you can say, yep. hey, let's send an email blast to all the LASA apps owners that yep. this is a high risk time.
1: That's right. And, and we can actually do a little better than that. We can say the people who live in this particular zip code are likely to have even more problems because we know that the pollen count's much higher there than another zip code. Hmm. So we're able to prioritize that messaging and our system can send that message through text message, through email, it can appear on a dashboard. It can be sent through voice. Our channels of distribution are essentially ubiquitous and agnostic. We don't care how you want to be notified. We can notify in any way you want to be notified. So I'm a vet practice, and you know, I'm,
0: I'm listening to this right now. I'm like, this is exciting. This is really interesting. How would I bring this into my vet practice to be able to disseminate this information? What's What are the steps?
1: So what we do is we have a platform. Uh, it's a SaaS platform. You would so SaaS is software as a service. Service, sorry, right. Yeah, software as a service platform. We would sign up in our system and you would be able to then access all of the data. And we have a number of tools for you as a veterinary practice to be able to enable your practice to run your database of clients through it and for your doctors to be able to send notifications out to your patients. In this case, the, the example we just gave, if you have 100 people who own LOPS offices, you'd now be able to say... Hey, in our region, we know what our zip code is. We know the pollen counts. The system tells us that your dog's could potentially have a problem. Here are the seven things you can do. One of the things on the list is you can come in, um, and if you don't have a current active prescription for some kind of parasiticide, uh, some flea medication, whatever it is, you can come in and get it from us right now. Or if you need some kind of uh, topical to prevent itch, or you know, on these particular days. The temperature is going to be really bad and the polycon is going to be really high. So you probably don't want to walk your dog outside on the following days. So your practice will be able to utilize the data and the notification capabilities in our system to alert your clients and add value to your relationship with them. That, that's beautiful.
0: And I guess if the data points that you can collect that as this is used more often, you're going to be able to refine your algorithms and buy your data set to make it even more accurate or to offer even more solutions
1: absolutely correct
0: this is wonderful and and i like i'm thinking of this and i'm like okay now what's the next step where does this go because i'll ask the question you know shortly of as a as a vet listening to this i'm sure there's a fair number going and do i even have a future and As a veterinarian, where do you see AI going? You know, there's wearables coming out now. There's 5Gs coming along. That's going to really enhance the speed and data points that we can touch upon at any given time. So, you know, if you're looking in your crystal balls, like, so what's the next step now?
1: That's a a good question. Really, I think for, for what we say to veterinarians is we're not, we can't replace you. That's not our job. In fact, what we're trying to do is you guys do great at what you do in the practice. And I think veterinary practices, most of them do it. The, the vast majority of them do a fabulous job supporting their clients and their patients in the walls of the hospital. But what the, you don't do very well is support your patients outside of the walls of the hospital. And if you think about where everything's going in our society, people want more services to come to them rather than them want to go to the service. We're an on-demand society now. Exactly. And in that on-demand society, the current veterinary model doesn't fit. Yeah. It's not relevant yeah. because what's, what you're making it a point-to-point thing, like, like retail versus e-commerce, right? Yeah. So what we do is we've created the digital and voice and AI platform that now allows you to extend your expertise into their living room, into their home, onto their phone. So we're not at all competitive. In fact, what we do is we extend your capabilities and your reach and your ability to in, be involved with your customers' lives day to day that's really what we do so we don't see ourselves at all replacing what we see is digital platform and the ai gives you capabilities you don't really have today and then you couldn't have today
0: so can this be sort of you know taking the next step going to integrate it with alexa or siri so you're at home and your cat's vomiting they i was like hey siri what's going on and you know what as i said that siri on my phone just opened up Talking about a surveillance state, <laughs> you know. So that example of is this where it ends up? That anywhere you go, you're just you can make this question and it, it's going to route it to your system.
1: Yeah, that's right. And actually, the way it's really built today is we actually try to make it seamless for you for the veterinary practice patients that it's coming from the veterinary practice, right? So again, we're not at all trying to replace what you do. We're trying to augment what veterinary practices do and. I think if you talk to a veterinary, I mean, you're a veterinary, and you know, I think most consumers want you to be involved in their day-to-day lives in a much more engaging way. We, What we say is, I think what modern consumers want is value beyond transaction. Yeah, I agree. It's not just come in, get billed, and get a service. They want to have a more ongoing, contrary to popular belief, I think people actually want more engagement, not less. They just want it on the terms. And I think,
0: you know, AI and where it's going in the profession is wonderful because I my argument has been when people ask me about this is we spend a lot of time on the diagnostics and not enough time on the consultative aspect of it afterwards. And so if you have a mechanism that can help you with the diagnostics, help you with the therapeutic options as a veterinarian, then you can spend more time you know, in the soft skills, the emotional aspects where consoling people or, or encouraging them or working on compliance. So I think this actually, I think, is going to change the role of the veterinarian f- from what it has been. Maybe it's going to go even go back to more of a, a James Harriet. you know, more time spent with a client than it has in the past. Question for you then. So what advice would you have for our veterinary colleges in North America, the world, really, in terms of what they need to start teaching their students whether it's hard skills soft skills to prepare them for this new type of future
1: i get asked that question a lot and i think it's a it's a really good question i think the good news is many many you know veterinary students today this stuff comes naturally to them right because if you think about it they grew up in a generation of people who utilize mobile and digital in a way that you know i'm a boomer in a way that people in my generation we didn't have that capability. I, you know, I wish we did. I, I I, would love to be 25 years old in today's world because I think we live in a really exciting time. And I, so I think the good news is a lot of veterinary students by, by their nature have this stuff, they understand this intuitively, right? That's really- And the younger clients too. You're right. And the younger clients actually yeah. demand it, right? I mean, that's the challenge to most, I, I hear a lot of veterinary practices say, well, I just want things to go back to the way it was. Mm. And whenever I hear that, I say, you know, where in society have you seen us go backwards? You know, the, the genie's already out of the bottle. And guess what? You're not going to put it back in the bottle. People want what they want. And either you find a way to monetize that and make money on that and provide the service that customers want, or you become irrelevant. That's the yeah. option, right? And I think what what schools really need to teach is that it's not just about the medicine. I'm not saying the medicine is not important. The medicine's obviously at the core of it all, but beyond medicine, it's about how to provide a service and how to connect with the pet owner. Because what, what in our experience, what do pet owners really, really want? They wanna know that you're there for them, that your expertise is available to them, that you care, and that everything's gonna be okay. They want the peace of mind from an expert knowing that everything's gonna be okay. So, if they can count on that, will they pay for that on a regular basis? Absolutely, yep. they will. Yep. Absolutely.
0: And I think that, you know, because we look at the different types of practices from the spay neuters to the, some of the newer ones that are associated with some of the big box stores that just really offer the basics. I, you know, this kind of service, I think, is really going to just make a practice distinctive. And if you hire students that have really great emotional intelligence, empathetic, great communication skills. It's a home run. But the question I find is, I think the vet schools are going to have to, this is my personal opinion, alter how they select people because the gifts of communication and empathy are not always selected now. It's Mark's uh, primarily. And I I think they're going to have to change the criteria to fit where the profession is going. And like anything, there's going to be a lag for sure, but the vet schools are going to have to catch up because there will, be, I think, there's going to be a huge disconnect between what's available and what clients want and what the source is.
1: Yep. No, you're absolutely right. And, and again, I'm, I'm not at all belittling the technical medical science skills required. In fact, those are, again, those are you know, necessary but not sufficient, right? And I think what happens is in the selection process, people are looking for the necessary skills, the medical skills, the science skills, all critical But beyond that, I think what has to happen in both the selection process and the training process is the softer skills are really critical too. And I hear a lot of veterinarians tell me, well, the reason we became veterinarians are because we love animals and don't like people so much. Wrong move. (laughs) Right. Wrong move, right? And also I say, you know, that's great the day when a day comes that a dog can drive him or herself to the veterinary office, and put down their credit card, then you're in good shape. But until that day comes... The human beings critical to the interaction. Yeah. Also, I've obviously been because I have animals been through a lot to a lot of veterinarians, and I can tell you that m- many, many, many veterinarians are not comfortable dealing with the human being, and that's part yeah. of
0: it. no hundred percent agree. So, as a person who has built four businesses and finding great success in the veterinary world, what advice or any suggestions do you have for people that are you know more the entrepreneurial uh, veterinarians? practice owners, technicians, what advice do you have them about being an entrepreneur in the vet world?
1: I think we live in a world where there is tremendous opportunity. I I know a lot of veterinarians think this is the beginning of the end. I think that is so wrongheaded. I think we haven't even gotten out of the dugout to play the game yet. I think there are so many new ways of looking at the business, looking at the veterinary industry, satisfying customer needs and making money uh, in doing so that this is a really exciting time we live in. And my advice would be, don't look backward in terms of the way it used to be and try to get everything to reformulate in that way. Look forward and say, all right, what is it people want? And if I can figure out what they want and I can satisfy that need, they'll pay me for it. And it's not just true in veterinary business, it's true in most business, right? Businesses think about themselves first and put their needs first. Well, I I think we lived in a time, and I kind of the way I look at the world is I say that there was two periods of digital transformation. 1.0 began when the computer first took off, and the whole digitalization was all about making businesses more efficient, more effective, and better at running themselves. That was digital 1.0. And it worked very well for companies, we were able to increase our productivity, increase our profitability, all those things. Digital 2.0 really started with the mobile generation in around 2005, 2006 was all about the customer now being in control and the customer saying, you need to do what's right for me because previously I only had a choice of consuming what you offered me. Today, with all the technologies coming around, there's so much disruption that's capable because people understand how to utilize technology to create a better consumer experience do so, and it completely disrupts an industry. Look at the, the cab company and, and all of the rideshare companies, how they've come along and by putting the power and control in the hands of the consumer have totally disrupted and in many ways destroyed the old assets that um, the previous taxi companies built. Well, it's the same thing in the vet industry. I think if veterinarians can see that they can utilize both technology and their skills, and remember, you know, veterinarians go to school for a long time to put a lot of information between their ears and give their hands a lot of ability to, to do techniques, right, to, to utilize their skills and surgery and the like. Veterinarians should be paid for all of that training and schooling and all that is between their ears. And I think over the last 50 years, the veterinary industry has been very driven by the sale of product yes. and have made the product focus over and above their expertise. And the way the secret is going to be to now put veterinary expertise back into the mix and to get paid for that, not bury the expertise under the price and the margin associated with the product. That's, if I had to give any advice to veterinarians to think about it, think about how to bill for what you do well, not how to bury your billing in selling somebody else's stuff. Because in that world, you're always going to lose because you're never putting front and center what you really- That's all
0: we have to sell is our knowledge. That is it. That's right. That's your yeah, value. That added, is right? it. And that's what makes us distinctive. And as as we were talking, I'm thinking, boy, somebody who who can crack the nut of how to I was this? I'm not gonna say minimize, just ease the concerns of veterinarians about this future because you know you and I are optimistic, entrepreneurial type, and we get excited about this change where I think ninety-eight percent of the vets are listening to it and going, this is not at all what I want. This is, you know, the antithesis of it. And so if there's a way, if we could ease the path into this near future, because it is a near future, I think that's going to be a great business anyway. I'll just throw that out there.
1: I, I agree. I think it's already here. And as I said earlier, I think the good news is a lot of younger veterinarians, the ones still in school, they yes. get this because this is the life they live too, right? I mean, as millennials, this is what this is what they want. This is the service that they want, right? So I think that's the good news. And I think where where the sort of the disconnect comes is, uh, I'm going to say something that's not popular. The veterinary world is a feudal society where you have the landowners, the veterinary practice owners, and associates, and the the lives and the economics of those two classes of people are extremely different. So where I think a lot of change has got to come from is the veterinary practice owners. I think the, the the associate veterinarians, those that don't own practices, but work for someone else, people who do, they get it, and they're willing to change the model. The problem is the people who own brick-and-mortar practices aren't so willing to change the model because they're threatened by potential loss of revenue, and as a result, their inability to you know, make their nut to run the business. And I, I understand that completely, and I think it's what they're fearful of is the model shifting so quickly that they're not able to adjust. Well, one way to look at that is so then be a part of the change, not just let it happen to you. I haven't thought about that but you
0: know the the parallels as you're talking about with the medallions or that taxi companies had were so valuable until the ride-sharing services Mm -hmm. came up and then the value of the medallions plummeted and boy i can actually see that that if you are easing the access or the the on-ramp for young vets to use ai that's going to help them in their diagnostics and therapeutics and they can use their communication skills then the barrier to entry gets a lot lower for a young vet you don't have to invest so much because now we're down to that we're selling our knowledge and we've come out of school with
1: knowledge and and by the way what do consumers value most your knowledge and and and, and i think veterinarians sell themselves short and i i've said this publicly i've said this many times the veterinary industry veterinarians in particular sell themselves short because they're not willing to charge for their expertise, which in my opinion is what people want more than anything. And because we've hidden it, buried it into, buried the value of it in terms of you know, the, the sale of product or farmer or whatever it is, that's the disconnect. Because now people don't see where the value is because historically you've not built for it. And then now as people have moved more towards Amazon or Chewy or 1-800-PetMans or whatever it is, and all that product sales has disappeared, veterinarians look at it and say, oh my God, I'm losing all of my ability to make money. No, that's because you never focus on your core competence. You put all of your billing in things that really were orthogonal to your core competence. Focus on your expertise, sell that skill, sell what's between your ears, sell what your hands are able to do because you do surgeries. That's what people want to pay for. You've just got to be able to, You know, I always say that in any good business, there are two elements, right? You got to create value, value creation, and you got to extract that value, that's how you monetize it. Well, veterinarians have done a great job of creating value, but they buried their value creation in an extraction model that dependent on somebody else's product. Well, why does that make any sense?
0: But you know, I'm also thinking, you know, as I'm exploring AI is that, you know, I'm hearing some of are gonna be listening to this and go, yes, but we're dealing with animals and some people are on a tight budget and we can't charge what we want to charge. You know, there's a lot of stories about that and some valid, some just as an excuse not to charge what we should charge. But my thoughts are that AI is actually gonna reduce the cost of us delivering a service. And I think that could be passed Absolutely. along. And so I think this may see this may get us to actually a, a cheaper delivery of high levels of medical care that are gonna benefit pets and consumers.
1: Yeah, and you asked me earlier what I you know, my long term vision for veterinary care is I think veterinary care much like human care is moving towards, will essentially be a tiered approach. So if you think about, let's just make this up for a minute, we're we're 15 years in the future. And if you look at veterinary care, my 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 forecast would be that 80 to 90% of visits would all be virtual. And you would be able to charge for that on a subscription or possibly on a transaction basis. And a lot of veterinarians would be paid for their expertise and their knowledge. And yes, there'll be 20% of those cases that will clearly require some kind of x-ray, surgery, um, some physical hands-on process, those will all be available as well. And, and people will go to surgery centers, some, some local form of veterinary hospital, maybe even a, like doctors do today, they'll share facilities where they'll go see clients or some of them will be able to do it in a mobile form where they'll have a truck and they'll drive out and be able to even do some limited x-rays, some MRIs, some surgeries in a mobile facility so I, I think there are a lot of different models but how do you deploy expertise without all of it requiring a physical visit to a, a brick and mortar place that's where that tiered stratified version of service delivery and the ability to bill for that so now you say all right so you can contact us any time of day because we have ai because we have virtual veterinarians and ultimately we need to come in we'll refer you to somebody to come we'll refer you to somebody who's nearby to come in but you're going to pay us $25 a month, $30 a month to have daily access to us, in instantaneous access to our virtual care network. And once you engage with that, we'll direct you to the right resource you need right. to see. That's a different model, but it's a model where now your expertise is front and center yep. and you're getting paid for it. And it's ultimately yep. what people want.
0: I actually see it more and as well, like more along the dentist dental model, dental hygienists, is that I I can see the role of, of licensed veterinary technicians changing because the one thing that virtual or, or telemedicine can't do is, you know, palpate. And so you're trying to say, where does it hurt? Uh, a person can talk about where it hurts. An animal can't point at, you know, my leg hurts here. And I think, you know, as we have a shortage of vets and we can leverage these tools that we have here and, you know, maybe we get into more of a, a higher level of, you know, LVTs that can do a lot of the physical work. And, I mean, not physical work, but in terms of the physical examinations that can relay the information. And a lot of the discussions That's- about shortage of vets in rural areas and what have you, uh, this is where I see the solution. I think this is where the world's
1: going. I totally agree. And, and I think in, in, in terms of wearables, I think in a very short time, you'll see the ability to do real diagnostics, temperature respiration, take blood sugars, all being done remotely, either through wearables or through remote diagnostic kits that get sent to your house, much like 23andMe, where there's saliva sample, there's a quick, small blood prick, Theranos uh, scam aside. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that can be done where... 70, 80% 70, 80% of what you do today in a physical practice would probably be able to be done either through a home kit or through yep. a wearable device. And that technology is coming. I, I, I hear it and right. see it all the time. So uh, yet, yet another use of AI. And I think at the at the center of all of this is the interpretation of this data that only veterinarians can do. That's the interpretation and the delivery of it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And the ability to create a plan for the consumer to... Utilize that uh, the workflow, as I talked about earlier, give them the workflow to follow, so that whether the animal has chronic illnesses or they live in a place where they potentially have, you know, a lot of issues that they can, you know, front run. That's where the value is.
0: Cal, this has been excellent, and it's made me think a lot, and so I really appreciate it. How can people uh, find you, find your your, your services?
1: Yeah, th- good question. Thank you. Um, they can go to. Mypetdoc.com, that's where a lot of our services are discussed. They can reach me personally at cal.lai at ask.vet, cal.ly at ask.vet.
0: Cal, thank you very much. This was great, and I'll be watching you avidly and seeing how your, your company blossoms. Thanks, Mike. It was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.